We're all about the University of South Florida, but we also want to keep you informed on the Bulls' conference opponents. That's why three times a week we go around the American. With today's show, here's Derek Sharp. No, your ears are not deceiving you. Normally it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday version, but again, we were kind of otherwise occupied on Monday, so... We've got plenty for you here Tuesday. There's a lot going on around the conference. And so that you don't have to try and bring everything together, we will do it for you right here. And if you are, I would get it, by the way, preoccupied with the Bulls coaching situation, well, there are quite a few other coaching situations to discuss even before we get to what's going on as far as the actual on-the-field conference tournament situation. For example, Cincinnati's Luke Vickle is leaving for Wisconsin. For a reported $8 million nearly per year, which you can kind of understand. Kerry Combs, who was their cornerback's coach, will be the interim coach, meaning for the bowl game. I'm sure Cincinnati will draw a lot of interest considering it's headed to the Big 12, but I guess for Fickle, Big Ten country, first of all, he was the former Ohio State coach. Secondly, the Big Ten's going to obviously be sort of a lucrative situation, including for him personally. We wish him well. Always a good guy to deal with, by the way. Of course, if they had beaten Tulane, who knows what would have happened, but they lost to Tulane in the game that the loser knew it was not going to make the conference championship game. And by the way, I love how it worked out. Even though I saw some Tulane folks especially sort of grousing over UCF not getting dropped too much in the rankings after the loss to Navy, but think about it. Going into that Black Friday game, if you're Tulane in Cincinnati, can you really be upset that if you lose, you don't get to get into the championship game? Because if you lost, the championship game would feature the two teams that beat you. And by the way, it's not an aggregate like soccer where you play two games in a row, which it would have been an immediate turnaround. As it stood, the two-lane green wave beat Cincinnati 27-24, and it was in Cincinnati, so they definitely deserved it. Bearcats had won 32 in a row at home. Ty J. Spears, 35 carries, 181 yards, and two touchdowns. Teams exchanged field goals before the green wave went on a 15-play, 77-yard, eight-and-a-half-minute drive. Spears ended it with an 11-yard touchdown run, and then Cincinnati tied it right back up. Tulane took a 13-10 lead and finally got the two-score advantage with seven minutes to go in the third quarter. Bearcats immediately answered. It was 20-17. Cincinnati took the lead 24-20 with just six-and-a-half minutes to go, and that's when Tulane got it done. Michael Pratt to Deuce Watts, 30-yard touchdown to complete a 75-yard drive with five minutes to go. So it'll be the Green Wave hosting UCF. That'll be on Saturday from Yeoman Stadium at 4 o'clock. It'll be on ABC. The other action is all done, but for Army and Navy, of course, they'll play next Saturday in Philadelphia on CBS. There were some pretty entertaining games elsewhere. In fact, you look at it, you could not beat the American Athletic Conference for entertaining football games. All five were good. Houston, which had a very outside chance of making it to the conference championship, took itself way, way outside by losing to Tulsa, which would go on to relieve Philip Montgomery of his duties. Montgomery, 43-53 and 53 in eight seasons. Rick Dixon, the AD, called it an extremely difficult decision. A very well-liked man, Coach Montgomery, at least ended up on a winning note. Got a nice performance. I'd say nice. From Braylon Braxton, we saw him play against the Bulls. He had 316 yards passing and three touchdowns, two long scores to Juan Carlos Santana. 37-30 was the final score. And by the way, Davis Brin would announce he's headed into the transfer portal yesterday. Second such touchdown came midway through the fourth quarter. 
broke a 27-all tie, and then Tulsa would kick a put-away field goal with about three minutes to go. So Houston ends up 7-5. and five. Tulsa 5-7 and seven. said the other games were very entertaining. SMU edges Memphis 34-31. Both these teams bowl eligible. Memphis actually outgained SMU and had about 15 more yards and was getting that yard advantage on a 76-yard drive to get inside the SMU 10 with 14 seconds to go. A field goal gets you to overtime, obviously. That's when Seth Hennigan threw for the end zone and Brandon Crossley with the dramatic interception gives SMU the victory. And the other game you knew had the potential to be entertaining, East Carolina at Temple. Remember when the Owls kind of broke through offensively against the Bulls? Well, they would rack up more yards the next week against Houston. And in this case, they were down constantly by 11 points to East Carolina before breaking through into the lead. East Carolina would come back and take the lead right back on a 38-yard touchdown pass from Holton Aylers to Jalen Johnson with just 1.11 to go. 49 to 46 was the final score. Temple gained 575 yards, 30 first downs in this game. EJ Warner, yeah, I think they found their quarterback in Kurt's kid, was, get this, 45 for 63. Five touchdowns in the game. So they just decided to sling it and it worked out. But East Carolina had one last answer. So entertaining stuff. As far as the players of the week, guess it would have gone to Warner if they had won. But he was on the honor roll. The player of the week makes sense, Ty J. Spears, for his rushing effort to lead Tulane to be able to host UCF in Saturday's championship game. Crossley, for that interception, was the defensive player of the week. Special teams goes to Cy Hatfield, receiver for East Carolina, who had a 97-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Outside of Warner on the honor roll, Braxton, we just mentioned from Tulsa. All offensive players, considering all the games were high scoring, I guess it makes sense. John Rice Plumley got on there. Rushy Rice, the receiver for SMU, who had 13 catches for 147 yards. East Carolina's Keaton Mitchell had the go-ahead touchdown reception. He also had a decent day on the ground. 222 yards and three scores. And Braylon Braxton, who we mentioned from Tulsa, there as well. Seven teams in the conference out of the 11 are bowl eligible. We'll do the weekly honors in basketball and the final ones in volleyball. Speaking of final, it's over for the conference in men's soccer as both Tulsa and FIU lost in the Sweet 16. Tulsa, this can happen in soccer, a rough ending, getting beat at home by Creighton. Now listen, Creighton has been on a roll. They put up six goals in their conference tournament semifinals. They won the Big East Conference coming in as the four seed, so no doubt a tough opponent, but... Saw the highlight. It was a late penalty given to Tulsa. And I'm telling you, the goalkeeper for the Golden Hurricane is great. Alex Lopez didn't touch the guy. Came out to knock a ball away. The Creighton player absolutely flew up in the air and over the goalkeeper, who again did not touch him. But penalty kick was awarded, and Creighton converts it with about 2 minutes and 15 seconds left. Tulsa had the lead on a goal by Alex Meinhardt, his 10th in the first half, but they just couldn't get that second goal and Creighton gets the win. FIU, which won that crazy second-round game at home in a rainy 12-round penalty kick shootout, went to Duke and put up a fight, but lost to the Blue Devils 1-0. Duke scored late in the first half. FIU actually outshot Duke 14-10. There were 37 fouls called in that match, so a big-time fight by FIU, which finishes its season at 14-5-1. Your Elite Eight does not include 
that number one ranked Kentucky team that beat the Bulls 4 nothing. Did you see this? If you didn't, it was wild. Pittsburgh scored on a late goal to win at Kentucky Sunday night 2-1. Former Bull Enrique Galena got called for a straight red card, and that was a shaky call. So Kentucky in a 1-1 game had a man advantage with about 12 minutes to go in regulation, and really if they needed it, up to 20 more minutes of overtime. But Pittsburgh got the late goal, so this rarely happens. You're going to have two unseeded teams playing in a national quarterfinal regardless of sport. I mean, you look at sports like volleyball and tennis, for example, and it just seems after observing them over the last few years, sometimes the Elite Eight are the top eight seeds. But in men's soccer, this time around, the left side of the bracket, the national semifinal is going to feature an unseeded team against a seed that's outside the top ten because you have Pittsburgh getting to host Portland and you have 12th seeded NC Greensboro hosting the 13th seed Indiana. On the right side, it's 7th seeded Duke against Creighton. Yes, you could have had FIU and Tulsa meeting up in a national quarterfinal had they won, but neither of them did. And then number three, Syracuse hosting Vermont. That's a team that knocked out SMU and follow that up with a home win against yet another unseeded team, UCLA. So it's been kind of wild. Speaking of seeds in volleyball, both the squads from the American Athletic Conference, who we've been telling you we're going to make the field regardless of their conference finish one or two. UCF and Houston are five seeds, meaning they just missed out on hosting, meaning if they make it out of the first two rounds, they'll probably run into a number one seed in their region, but will have to win that second match, likely on their opponent's home floor. For Houston, it'll be playing South Dakota this weekend. Flashback to the very first weekend of the season, we had USF against South Dakota for you. We told you that South Dakota was probably headed to a conference championship. They ended up going 29-3, and so that's who Houston gets on Friday afternoon. If they win, they'll get the winner between fourth seed and regional host Creighton against Auburn. The potential number one seed that lingers in that part of the draw is Stanford. Now, Houston, because it lost to UCF on Friday, that probably knocked it barely out of hosting, even though Houston technically got the automatic bid because UCF beat the Cougars in five sets. Those teams ended up both going 19-1 and in league, split their matches, so it went down to who basically did it in fewer sets. And Houston, when it forced the fifth set, secured that, but probably needed to win the fifth set. Friday night in Orlando to get to host. UCF heads to Penn State. First up, it'll play Yale on Friday afternoon. And then if it wins, it'll get the Penn State UMBC winner. The defending national champion sits in that portion of the bracket as a potential third-round match for the Knights. That's Wisconsin. So good luck to UCF, who is McKenna Melville, wins the Player of the Year in the conference. Those honors just got announced today. UCF. How about USF grad David Rayer, the head coach at Houston, getting coach of the year? Head to theamerican.org if you would like all of those. A little surprised, actually. This doesn't shock me. I mean, Houston did the same thing last year, but SMU must have declined a bid to the NIVC because the Mustangs were clearly the third best team in the conference. The 32-team field only includes one American Athletic Conference team, and that is Wichita State. Wouldn't be surprised if the Shockers do well in that event. We'll be hosting Grand Canyon. Actually, they'll be hosting a group of four. You have 32 teams, so eight groups of four with eight first and second round hosts. Drake and Weber State also coming to Wichita. I guess a lot of teams declined bids because you had two below 500 squads in the 32-team field, although Clemson makes sense because the ACC is so good. The other one is 
12-18 and 18 Santa Clara. Wrapping up with the basketball players of the week, Kendrick Davis for Memphis. He averaged nearly 20 points and more than five assists in their three games over at Disney. Came very close to a 3-0 week, only didn't get that because they got beat at the buzzer by Seton Hall. But Memphis shook that off to beat Nebraska 73-61 on Friday. Davis had 22 points and seven assists in that game. They took Saturday off, then they then they got Stanford on Sunday afternoon, 56-48. From UCF, freshman of the week goes to guard Taylor Hendricks. He averaged 12 points and seven rebounds, had 16 and eight in a home win against Evansville last Wednesday. You know, Houston didn't exactly impress on Saturday, beating Kent State just 49-44, but how about this? The Houston Cougars are your number one team in the country in the new rankings. Love their coach, Kelvin Sampson. He kind of tried to downplay it. He says, hey, listen, the number one spot is just kind of a rental position right now. You got teams that are going to be trading on and off with it, but still pretty cool to see an American Athletic Conference team at least for one more year in that spot. Rough tumble for the previous number one, North Carolina. Gets beat by unranked Iowa State, but we know the Cyclones made the Elite Eight last year. Then they got beat in four overtimes, 103-101 by Alabama, and that KO'd them down 17 spots to 18. Houston rises up one. Texas, the other team right underneath them. How about that, future conference opponent, I think? Does Texas hang out one more year before going to the SEC? Anyway, good stuff there. Houston 6-0, three conference teams are 5-2. and two. Those being East Carolina, UCF, and Tulane, which grabbed a win over Louisiana Monroe on Monday night. Of course, Memphis sitting there at 4-2 and two as well. On the women's side, just one undefeated left. That would be UCF, although it would stretch to double overtime by Samford at its own event. I'll tell you what, the teams in the league are off to some pretty solid starts. Even a Temple team that is below 500 has had some nice performances. So I'm thinking the conference will be pretty tough this year. Wichita State has technically the second-best record at 5-1 and one and did get the first non-USF Player of the Week honors, deservedly so. Jane Asinde averaged 21 points in 17 rebounds as they went out to L.A. and beat Montana and Loyola Marymount, who she went for 22 points and 15 rebounds against. UCF stayed undefeated after that double overtime win against Sanford Saturday, easily defeating SEMO 67-41. Boy, Houston Cougars were playing in the event in St. Pete had previously lost to Florida State in overtime. The Florida Gators beat them in overtime, so Houston just there. Then again, also lost to Portland in regulation in St. Pete, 66-60. to East Carolina, off to a pretty nice start at 5-2, and two, beat Liberty, but then lost to the host of the Cavalier Classic, Virginia, 72-50. to 50, Same score the Bulls lost by on Sunday. While Temple was at Bucknell winning 77-62 to 62 elsewhere, Memphis played in that really bizarre situation in Vegas at the Mirage. The organizers of that event grossly apologized for underperforming when it came to actual places for fans to sit. It was a travesty. You can look it up if you want all the details, but they were playing in a ballroom, which is not unheard of. Hey, technically, we played in a ballroom at the event last year, the Bahamar, beating Stanford, but it was a big ballroom, you know, with stands set up for people to sit in. There were no such stands at this event. Memphis lost by four to St. John's in it and lost to Indiana, one of the top 10 teams in the country, 79-64. to Other results, Tulsa played in the other USF's event, San Francisco, Got beat by Long Beach by 19 points, but then put up a big win against South Carolina State. Cincinnati was in Daytona, beat, as we know, a good UT Arlington team, 72-58, and then lost by one to Charlotte. Some of the highlights from the conference as we keep you updated around the American. Thanks for dropping by 
on a Tuesday show. We'll give you more conference stuff tomorrow morning on our regularly scheduled Wednesday appearance. I'm Derek Sharp.